He has the words of life. Listen to His words because it is only in listening to His words that you will have spiritual understanding which leads to spiritual life. This cloud, the, the idea of this cloud overshadowing them. Now, let's think for just a minute about this word overshadowed them. This is the word episkiazo. It's a very, very rare word in the scriptures. Overshadowed them. It comes from the root word skia in the Greek, which means shadow or shade. So epi, episkiazo, means to cast a shadow over or to cast shade over. Now, when this word is used outside the Bible, it always means something negative, meaning to cast sort of a negative shadow. And you can sort of follow the meaning there, right? To cast a shadow over something. Like, for example, you and some friends go out for a nice dinner and you're having a nice time, but then somebody brings up some unpleasant topic and it casts a shadow over the whole time. That's the, the typical meaning. However, the writers of Scripture take this word and they use it very rarely, but they use it not negatively, but positively to cast a shadow or to overshadow. So it's found a total of only four times in all the scriptures, four times in all the Bible. It's found twice in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And in both of those instances, it's found in the same context. It's found in Exodus, in which we're told that the tabernacle or the tent of meeting was filled or overshadowed with the presence of God as God came and met with Moses. We find it again in 1 Kings in the same context, only now it's the temple. And the same thing, the Spirit of God overshadowed the temple or filled the temple, same word. And in both those instances, it's God casting His shadow over His people, over this meeting place, casting His shadow to come and to fill the place of meeting and to meet with His people. So that's the two times we find it in the Old Testament. Then we come to the New Testament. We find the same word, of course, here, this overshadowing cloud, this cloud that overshadowed them or cast God's shadow over them. But then we also find it one other place in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and you will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Mary says, I believe, but how can these things be? For I'm a virgin. I've not known a man. How are these things going to be? And then the angel explains to her that the power of God will come upon her, will overshadow her. Same word. So Mary will be overshadowed. God will cast His shadow upon Mary. And the overcasting of God's shadow upon here, upon her will result in the Son of God coming to live in her, in her womb. Coming to her. Coming to His people through her womb. And so it's a powerful, powerful word that speaks of God coming and meeting with His people in such a way that the meeting results in life. Think of the life of the Savior that's brought to His people. Think of the life of, that's, that's saved through the Savior on the cross. 
Think of this instance. Think of the Old Testament tabernacle. Think of the temple. And so in each instance, it speaks of a powerful meeting with God in which God comes and He fills His people. And by filling His people, they know Him. And that's the significance of the word that Peter is speaking to us here. Or Mark Mark is speaking to us through Peter here. So this shadow, it overshadowed them. We'll come back to that a little bit later. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son in Matthew's account with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And verse eight, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So as quickly as it started, it was over. They look around. Next thing they knew, this incredible experience that just began perhaps a few moments ago, this incredible experience is now over. We'll end right there for now, and we'll just take a break there, and we will now ask ourselves the question, what do we see in this passage in terms of significance and meaning for the three disciples who are there present? What does this mean for them? What sort of meaning are they gathering from this? Remember last week, we saw the meaning or the significance of this for the Son of God, for Jesus Christ. Now let's ask our question, what about those disciples? What significance are they to gain from this? Now, in order to see this, the first thing that we need to see here is a theme that Mark has has pronounced to us since early in chapter 1. It's the same theme. We've talked about this often. It's the same theme of Mark saying to us that there is a spiritual understanding, there's a spiritual comprehension that only comes by way of connection to Jesus. So you remember this theme, we've talked about it frequently. It's the theme that spiritual understanding, spiritual comprehension comes to no one outside of connection to the Messiah. So think back with me to chapter 4, the parable of the soils. We had the four types of soils. We had the hard soil that the seed or the word just fell upon and did nothing, was snatched away. Then we had the rocky soil. So the seed falls or the word falls on that. And there is some type of springing to life, but that life doesn't penetrate. There's no root because there's hardness underneath. And so the root can't penetrate that heart. And so that seed soon dies. Then there is the thorny soil. There's also the seed that falls on that, springs up to some life, but then there is the the cares and the concerns of the world which choke out the Word. But then there's the good soil. The good soil, though that the sun comes out and the heat of the day comes out, nevertheless, there is root that grows down in the soil and there's spiritual comprehension and there's life that comes from that. And then Jesus, after that parable, He then says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To you has been given to know these things. So Jesus' point there is that your heart is the good soil and to you has been given this gift of understanding the things of God. Now, as we looked at that passage, one of the things that was just so prominent, so undeniable in that passage is that Jesus says to them, to you has been given the ability to understand these spiritual truths, yet what do they not do? understand these spiritual truths. They continue to be misperceiving in their perception of Jesus and the things that He's teaching. We see that even in the passage today. And that misunderstanding will continue. Just a few verses later, they're going to come down the mountain. And what are they talking about as they come down the mountain? What's this resurrection thing that He's talking about? What what does He mean by resurrection? Oh, and Elijah? What's the whole deal with Elijah? You see, the misperception continues. And so what Jesus was saying 
To you has been given the secret to know the kingdoms, the secrets of the things of, of God. To you has been given this precious gift to understand. What he's saying is not that you have received this gift of spiritual comprehension, now go and have fun with it. What he's saying is, by your connection to me, by your relation to me, through me, you will understand the things of the kingdom of God. Now, they're on the mountain. And who are they on the mountain with? Christ. And what's being shown to them? You see the same thing. The same thing. Attentiveness to Christ. Listening to Christ. By virtue of that comes spiritual understanding. Comes spiritual comprehension. One of the things that we didn't ask last week, I saved this question for this week, but one of the things that we didn't ponder last week was Elijah and Moses in the sense of how do they know? Have you ever thought that? How did they know that that was Moses and Elijah? They didn't follow them on social media. They didn't watch all their Moses' posts on Instagram. They didn't know what they looked like. They had no images or pictures of Moses, neither of Elijah. So how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Well, there's a very important word. Did you notice it? There appeared. Did you notice that word? Appeared. In other words, the text does not require us to believe that Moses and Elijah were there physically. The text doesn't require that of us because they appeared with Christ. All right. Now, Elijah didn't die. Remember that story? But Moses did. So Moses died. His body was put in the grave. Where's Moses' resurrection body? He didn't have it yet because the resurrection hasn't occurred yet. So doesn't that make sense that Moses and Elijah aren't physically there, but they appear to them almost like a vision. Jesus is real. Jesus, the incarnate son of God, he's there in flesh and blood. But there appeared Moses and Elijah. And so kind of like a dream sort of state. You ever have those dreams where you know some piece of information or you know some person and you don't quite know how you know that? You ever experienced those dreams where you maybe you try to remember it later, you're thinking back through it later, or you're trying to tell it to someone and you're saying, oh, yes, yeah, so and so was there. But it didn't look like them and it didn't, they weren't dressed like them, or, but it was them. And so somehow you knew it was them, but you're not quite sure how you knew it was them. I think that's what's happening here is that there is an understanding that is passed to these three disciples of who they are. And that understanding came to them by way of Christ. And isn't that a fundamental theme of Mark's gospel? Only in connection to Messiah do we perceive these things. Only in relation to Messiah do we have spiritual perception. And right here on the mountain, here are these two figures that appear to them and somehow they know. That's Moses and Elijah there. And so this theme of attentiveness to Christ and His words. And isn't that what the Father says? Listen to Him. He has the words of life. Listen to His words because it is only in listening to His words that you will have spiritual understanding which leads to spiritual life. This episode will make a dramatic impact on Peter's life. 
And Peter will return to this episode later to write about it in his second epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is in your notes. Let's take a look at this together. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, here's what Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter's not saying, we didn't come to you. He's writing to the churches. And he, he says, we didn't come to you telling you these clever myths and stuff. We told you what we experienced. We told you what we saw. We told you what we experienced in our life. And here's what we experienced We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now he's going to go on and explain or refer to this instance. Verse 17, For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, see this is this experience, and here's the words, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So he's referring to this experience. Verse 18, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's saying to these churches that he's writing to, listen, we had this experience on the mountain where we encountered God Almighty in a way that no human being has ever encountered God Almighty. Do you know that this mountaintop experience of Peter, James, and John has no parallel? There is no instance in all of human history in which people have encountered God in such a tangible way as this. The burning bush, God speaks out of the bush. Profound experience doesn't compare to this one. The filling of the temple, the filling of the tabernacle, profound experiences doesn't compare to this one. Any of the experiences of humankind Nothing compares to this experience of having God the Father reach down and pull back the curtain and say, gaze upon the deity of my Son. And now listen to my words as I cast my shadow over you. Listen to my words. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. No human experience can compare to that. I have read of so many instances in which Believers have had profound experiences with God. My mind goes to a well-known instance, probably many of us have heard of this instance, in which Dwight Moody was in a hotel room and experienced an outpouring of the love of God that was so profound that he writes that eventually, as this progressed on through the night in the hotel room, he finally had to pray and ask God to stay his hand because he couldn't take it anymore. It was literally overwhelming for him. What an incredible experience of the love of God. Or the experience that uh, another one comes to mind, the wife of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, that that uh, famous theologian, the best theologian that the that United States has ever produced. Jonathan Edwards, his wife, had an experience of encountering the love of God that was so tangible and so weighty that literally she fell on her face in the aisle of the church and laid there for an hour, unable to move. Profound experiences of the love of God. Nothing, nothing compares with this one. And so Peter is saying, listen, we three people, These three people experienced God in such a powerful way, nothing else in in all of human experience can compare to this. But see, there's one problem with experiences. They end. They don't go on forever. 
And so now Peter comes to his point. His point is, picking up in verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Do you hear echoes there of listen to him? Peter got it. Peter profoundly didn't get it on the mountain, but just as profoundly, Peter now got it. What he's saying is this. Nobody has had an experience with God like we did. Yet even that experience is not as reliable, is not as fully confirmed as what we have in the pages of our Bible in the pages of our Scripture, because what we have is more fully confirmed. How is it more fully confirmed? How, is it, how could anything be more fully confirmed than seeing the deity of Christ? Because as Peter himself will say in 1 Peter chapter 1, the Word of God is never-ending. Flowers will fade, grass will die, or the Word of God will remain forever. And so this It's what he says to his people. He says, listen, we had this experience and experiences are incredible. Experiences of God are something we should desire. For a long time, I felt guilty about desiring experiences with God. I felt guilty about that. I felt like, you know, I I should just be satisfied with just the word because the, the word itself says that the word is better. So why can't I just be satisfied with just the word? But finally realize, no, we are right. We are right to desire experiences with God. Yet at the same time, Peter himself, the one who experienced above all human experiences of God, says to us, you've got something more solid. You've got something better. You have the written word. Peter got this. He understood in attentiveness to Christ, in hearing his words, is how I gain perception, how I gain understanding. 